Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we are afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Trending fears this week? Huge asteroid just misses Earth and another one's right behind it. The stuff they've been putting in our water since the 60s is making kids stupid. Florida man shot by an iguana bounty hunter. Jeffrey Epstein's frozen penis? Is that from the new Dairy Queen pedophile collection? And Barry's fear of the week? The Electoral College. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else says. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode 14. I'm Alonzo Bowden here with Dr. Fear Not, my co-host, Barry Glassner, the world's foremost expert on fear. How was New York, man? It was a good trip. It was a good trip. And I learned something important, which is uh, I should take my own advice. Uh, if you remember, last time I said yeah. I, I said going to New York in August, that's a little crazy. It's going to be hot. It's going to be horrible at this wedding. And it was beautiful the whole weekend. So... I dis <laughs> I discovered I should just listen to myself, and I also listened to another great thing, Alonzo. I listened to uh, Heavy Lightweight. Thank you, sir. It's fantastic. I especially like the bits about Black Lives Matter uh, and uh, also why we shouldn't diss millennials. So all the millennials <laughs> listening, we're not dissing you, right? Yeah, I, I actually get a kick out of the millennials, and they do care. And, you know, as I say, Black Lives Matter chiefly because I have one. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Now, the special has, so far has been well-received, uh, which I appreciate. How about you? What, are you? what are you doing? Where are you going? While I was in New York, I also uh, did some uh, interviews at CNN, listened to Brian Stelter's uh, podcast, uh, which is called Reliable Sources. And I want to also thank our listeners. Our audience is still growing. Keep sharing. Tell all your friends to subscribe, too, and like us on the platform of your choice. Yeah, a few weeks ago, we did an episode with all listener questions, and they liked it. So this week, we're adding a weekly segment answering your questions, so keep sending them in. We're at Twitter, at FearNotOfficial, or you can email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. While you're there, hit subscribe, leave us a review. We read them, we enjoy them, we even like the mean ones. <laughs> Let's get started. Here we go. Headline number one. Huge asteroid misses Earth. Experts say we must do more to protect our planet. We're worried about kids and screen time. If a huge rock is going to hit the Earth, I don't think screen time is a big thing to be concerned about. Right. I mean, a lot of what we talk about here is whether we're afraid of the wrong things and what we're spending our time and attention on, although an asteroid could hit a screen, I guess. All right. The asteroid that missed us, it was called 2006 QQ23. They say it's the size of the Eiffel Tower. It's about 1,100 feet. Uh, you know, that's big, right? 2006 QQ23, it hurled past the Earth a few weeks ago. It was going at 10,400 miles an hour. It missed us, fortunately, but just a little bit. It missed us by 4.6 million miles. Another way to put that is 19 lunar distances away. That's 19 times the distance of the Earth from the moon. So one question is, if it hit us, right? 
I mean, that's kind of the issue, not what happened this time. If it hit us 500 times the explosive force of an A-bomb, the A-bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima would be the effect of it. Well, it's big. I don't know if that's bigger than the one Bruce Willis blew up in Armageddon, but it was big. <laughs> no, all joking aside, so how big was the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs? First off, a minor correction. Until about 2012, scientists were certain that it was an asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. That's part of what they believe now. The asteroid had a lot to do with it, but there were probably other factors also. So studies say the dino asteroid which was about 66 million years ago, was somewhere between six to nine miles in diameter. We're not talking feet anymore. But asteroids hit Earth's atmosphere all the time. Every year, a car-sized asteroid hits Earth's atmosphere, but it burns up on entry every 2,000 years. One the size of a football field makes it through. They hit Earth, causing significant damage. Now, I've heard about this. I've heard about asteroids are always hitting the atmosphere, burning up, and we just don't know about it for that reason. I didn't know about the um, asteroid the size of a football field coming through every 2,000 years. So what... What are the odds of that happening in our lifetime? I'm glad you asked that because there's a nonprofit group called the B612 Foundation. It was started by some former NASA scientists. And what they're doing is working to protect the planet from asteroids. The president of that organization, a person named Danica Remy, said this, it's 100% certain that we're going to get hit but we're not 100% certain when, which is kind of an understatement. We don't really know. The last asteroid hit was in 2013. It was 55 feet wide, which is smaller than the 2006 QQ23. It hit the atmosphere over Russia. You may remember this. This was in the news. A blinding flash of light streaking across the sky. And then on the ground, chaos as fragments slammed into Earth. Witnesses say they thought a war had broken out. The last time we had a hit was uh, in just this July. And an asteroid about 450 feet across buzzed Earth. It was 40,000 miles away, though. But it's the largest asteroid to come close in 100 years, which kind of answers your earlier question, right, about the odds. It, it, it's just not that likely. But here's the scary thing. We had no idea this one was coming. Astronomers in Brazil discovered it shortly before the flyby occurred. Okay, so if that one had hit 450 feet across, what would that have done? Well, we do know something about that. Uh, just last May, in fact, NASA and FEMA and other agencies held a multi-day simulation of an asteroid strike on New York City. Their estimate of what it would do to New York City if a 200-foot-wide object uh, you know, just a tad bigger than the 2006 QQ23. If that hit midtown Manhattan, it would kill 1.3 million people, they estimate, and it would destroy much of Manhattan. Serious business. You know, I did a joke a long time ago, like humans, we're very proud of what we build, right? Oh, look at my beach house. Whoosh, <laughs> gone. Nature is not impressed with human achievements. So is there anything we can do about this if we get hit by a giant asteroid? Not after we've been hit, but here's the reality about asteroids and what we are doing. 
The greatest risk of a global catastrophe is from the impacts of objects that are larger than a kilometer. NASA estimates that 95% of asteroids one kilometer or larger have already been cataloged, right? So none of those pose a threat to the Earth. One as big as the dino extinction asteroid, the odds of that virtually nil, they do say that we need to go beyond the planet killers. There's a danger in rocks the size of that 2006 QQ23. So inventorying all of the asteroids that could hit us is a very important job, job number one. And there are ways that are being created to deal with this. So let me directly answer your question now, Alonzo. One is called the double asteroid redirection test. Okay, a NASA rocket launches in 2021 in this scenario. It'll fire what's called a kinetic impactor into a pair of asteroids that are on track to pass close to the Earth in 2022. And then we'll see if we can nudge it back into another trajectory, kind of push it away, right? A second effort that's underway is what they call Gravity Tractor. This is a spaceship that's sent to use an asteroid's own gravity and magnetics to shift the trajectory. And then the third is the nuclear option, literally. That's launching a nuclear warhead into space and detonating it near an oncoming asteroid. The blast from that would nudge it out of the Earth's path. But of course, none of those three will work unless we have enough advance warning. Also, I think we need Iron Man to carry the nuclear warhead in the outer space, if I remember the first Avengers movie. Right. I guess this makes sense, but it's kind of, uh, it's an abstract fear to me. This is There's a lot of things closer and more dangerous. This is one of those things to me that seems totally random. And if the Earth gets hit by an asteroid, again, we're just going to get hit by an asteroid. I don't, I'm guessing they don't know for sure. My biggest fear on this one is that Trump reads this. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, if he reads this, who knows what might happen? Call your fellow scientists and tell them put this one to bed before he finds out. All right. <laughs> so, Barry, asteroids, fear or fear not? If the frightening news stories about asteroids hitting Earth, if they're messing with your head, just remember the bottom line from the scientists at NASA no human in the past thousand years has been killed by a meteorite, nor by the effects of one hitting Earth. No large object is likely to strike the Earth any time in the next several hundred years, so fear not. If you're meant to be hit by an asteroid, then I don't think there's too much you can do. Headline number two, this one's from NPR and it says, can maternal fluoride consumption during pregnancy lower children's intelligence? Let me get this straight. This story saying that fluoride in the water is making kids dumb? Yeah, pretty much. See, so I'm right. The producer of this show got on me for saying Americans are getting dumber. <laughs> I now have proof from NPR, a trusted source. <laughs> well... Let me set this up a little before we get into it, all right? There's 70 years of scientific research on the use of fluoride. It's been in tap water since the 1950s. I'm going to underscore this real hard. It's proven very effective against tooth decay. Fluoride is so good at cutting cavities that the CDC named water fluoridation one of the 10 great public health achievements of the 20th century. But this study is not about tooth decay, is it? No. 
It's not. It's about fluoride in utero, that is tap water drunk by pregnant women, and that that lowers the IQ of their kids. The reason that we're taking this seriously at all, frankly, is because it was published in JAMA Pediatrics. That's the Journal of the American Medical Association, so it needs to be taken seriously. About 66% of all U.S. residents receive fluoridated water through the tap. So here's the basics about the study. It was conducted in Canada. Okay, let me stop you right there. It was conducted in Canada. Now, we all know Canadian kids lose their teeth in hockey fights by the time they're 12. (laughs) So they don't really care about fluoridation of these teeth. They're going to get knocked out. But anyway, I'll let you continue. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, So the researchers tracked the fluoride exposure on 512 mothers. They looked at the concentration of fluoride in the urine samples that were taken throughout their pregnancies. Increased levels of fluoride during pregnancy were associated with declines in kids' IQ, major takeaway of the study, specifically for each additional one milligram per liter in concentration of fluoride in the mother's urine, they saw a four to five point drop in IQ. So losing a bunch of IQ points in single generation sounds scary, right? This doesn't apply to L.A., right? Because if you're a pregnant LA woman and you're not drinking water out of a bottle, you'll be arrested. You can't (laughs) drink just tap water in LA if you're pregnant. They'll lock you up for that. So how do they know how smart the kid was supposed to be? Basically, they do it based on averages, you know, what you would have expected if there was no effect of this. Let's do a little bit of history, Alonzo. Water fluoridation, it's been contentious from the beginning. When you look at the history of this, going back to the 1950s, there's always been some fear of fluoride. People don't like it when you make them take stuff and put it in the water. And in fact, the editorial board of JAMA Pediatrics, where the study was published, mentioned this. They said the journal is, quote, committed to disseminating the best science based entirely on the rigor of the methods and the soundness of the hypotheses tested, regardless of how contentious the results may be. And it went on beyond that to say there was an editorial by a professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School also in here saying that the findings still need to be replicated, which I would say, no kidding. So according to the scientific method, which you are expert at, even you were saying this needs to be replicated. This needs to be done more or maybe on a wider sample before we can really consider it something, right? That's exactly right. And part of what concerns me about each one of these that come out and get a lot of attention is people who are already trying to say, take fluoride out of my water. Fluoride is horrible. You know, it goes all over the social media world, right? And these publications all pick it up. And it sounds like, well, this is just a new fact. So that that part is concerning. But, you know, to go to your point, Alonzo, if it's a well put together study, which this was, and it's in a responsible journal and it's properly reviewed, it has to be taken seriously. See, that's the cost of doing science. Whether the media should report it the way they do is another question. But This isn't the first study that has come up with this conclusion. Two years ago, a Harvard study claimed similar results. But catch this, it didn't hold up under scrutiny, see? And it would appear that this study may not either, right? So what's the bottom line on this? In a statement, the American Dental Association said this, we welcome this and further scientific study of the issue to see if the findings can be replicated with methods that demonstrate more conclusive evidence. But again, my, my concern with this is, like they said, it's been proven 
fluoride in the water helps teeth, right? But now you've given these people, the, the anti-fluoride people, a reason to question that. Right. So what concerns me all the time is every time one of these comes out and it gets attention, then it's used the wrong way by the quacks and by the people who are anti-fluoride already. And I will boldly predict that those forces will use this study also when they go to fight the battle the next time. So, Barry, fluoride in the water, fear or fear not? Fear not. If you're a pregnant woman, you might want to stop drinking fluoridated tap water for a while. Or you might say, let's wait for this to be replicated. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. It's time for one of our favorite segments, Fear Florida. And before we start, Alonso, I just want to say one thing. We're in hurricane season. Things have been rough down in Florida. We're thinking of everybody in Florida. We love you folks. And we're here to have fun sometimes at your expense. But we care a lot about what's going on down there. So keep that in mind as we're recording this. We are going into a completely different Florida topic. We're not touching the hurricanes, but there's still reasons to fear Florida. And here it is. Here's the headline. Florida clarifies its directive to kill iguanas whenever possible after a Florida man gets shot. So Florida has a problem with a massive green iguana infestation. These lizards cause damage to seawalls, sidewalks, and ornamental gardens. How do they fix the problem? Well, this is Florida, right? <laughs> so just before the 4th of July, the Florida Fish and Game Wildlife Conservation Commission declared open season on green iguanas. They said, homeowners, kill these pesky vermin whenever you see them. Here's the quote. The FWC encourages homeowners to kill green iguanas on their own property whenever possible. They are not a protected species. Homeowners do not need a permit to kill iguanas on their own property. I like the little lizards around my house. Actually, I don't want to off them. They're cute. Yeah, you're talking about cute little lizards, not giant green iguanas everywhere. So how, how long does this go on? I love that you asked that. Open season on iguanas lasted about a week until a pool worker in Boca Raton was working in a backyard and suddenly he got shot by an iguana bounty hunter. <laughs> the neighborhood hired this guy to get rid of the pest. So you ask how long it lasted? About a week. Okay. Take a listen. Homeowner Elon Bryant says it started last Friday when workers from a pool company were doing maintenance in her patio area. And I came out to see what they were doing and I heard him scream on the top of his lungs, ow, and he had blood coming out of his leg and he was shot by the hunter. Paramedics in the Boca Raton Police Department responded. Police say someone hired to shoot and kill iguanas in the neighborhood hit the pool worker instead. We have iguanas everywhere. If neighbors are going to be like the Wild West and shoot at everything, someone's going to get killed. Regardless of your position on wildlife, whether you are for it or against it, the human element is you need to protect your children. The kids fish back here all the time. What I want to know is who cleaned his blood out of her pool? See, nobody nobody gets the details to this story. Now, you shot the pool cleaner. Now, who's going to clean that up? Think of this poor woman. 
Her pool guy is out there. Suddenly he's screaming. He's been shot. There's iguanas everywhere. The woman, and she said it, and we always say it. Barry, what do we say? You got to protect the children. (laughs) It's always about the children. We got to protect the children from the iguanas. We got to protect the children from the iguana hunters. Thankfully, the worker was only shot with a pellet gun, and his injuries are not severe. But think about poor Elin. Poor Elin. Elin is traumatized. The FWC, a few days later, did amend its order to shoot to kill. The new statement reads, Unfortunately, the message has been conveyed that we are asking the public to just go out there and shoot them up, said the FWC Commissioner Rodney Barreto. (laughs) This is not what we're about. Florida is not the Wild West. It's good he realizes that because Florida is about as far east as you could go. (laughs) Right. The FWC is now saying people need to call professionals if the iguanas can't be removed safely. Now, it was a professional iguana bounty hunter that shot the pool guy. But anyway, as far as cruelty... A communications director for the Zoo of Miami said shooting an iguana is generally more humane than any other method. Wait, what, what other methods? Like strangling it? or uh, We don't know, right? I, I don't know. But maybe you might be onto something because he said the shooting applies only if the iguana is restrained such that the shot is carefully placed at the base of the skull to cause instant death. So basically, we're going to have to bring in the mob. (laughs) Right. One article said the homeowners can shoo iguanas away. So you can either blast them, hit them with a bang stick, or simply shoo them away (laughs) by spraying them with water or removing their preferred plants from the garden or filling in the holes in your backyard or even hanging wind chimes. That's a great choice. Listen, either wind chimes or blast them. (laughs) I think if you give the average Floridian that choice, they're blasting away at iguanas. Fear Florida. It is time for Barry's Fear of the Week, and this time he's going to college. Specifically, Fear the Electoral College. As a headline in the New Republic magazine put it, the next president will be chosen by an 18th century anachronism. American voters deserve better. So what I say is we should either abolish or seriously reform the Electoral College for all Americans, for Democrats and Republicans, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. I so absolutely agree with you. My biggest problem with the Electoral College, California's votes don't matter. And remember, this was developed before California existed. You know, it is it is utterly ridiculous. No disrespect to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, or even Michigan, but their votes are not more important than California. California is the biggest economy in the nation, seventh largest economy in the world. We, we drive so much of the United States as far as economically trend-setting, uh, you know, creative, creativity, IT, all of this stuff. And our votes for president don't mean a thing because of the Electoral College. We're on the same page with that. But let me just give you a little of the background here. Trump has a historically low national approval rating. The New York Times' Nate Cohen estimates that Trump could win while losing the national vote by as much as five percentage points. Just like last time, lose the popular vote, win the presidential election, right? 
Yeah, let's talk about what the Electoral College is. It's a body of electors. It was established by the United States Constitution at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 with only one job to do. So it's a special, special college, really. Every four years, they get together, they elect the president and vice president of the United States. And I know what you're thinking. Don't we elect the president and vice president ourselves by voting? Well, we sort of do. Here's how it works. The Electoral College consists of 538 electors. Each state's number of electors is equal to the total number of the state's senators and members of the House of Representatives. That's how they get the number. So the number of electors varies by state. Uh, Alabama has nine. Florida has 29. Massachusetts, 11. Vermont has three. Currently, there are 100 senators and 435 representatives. So that's 535. So where are the other three? Well, the 23rd Amendment gave Washington, D.C. a number of electors no greater than that of the least populous state, which is three. So there we get to 538. An absolute majority of half, or 270 electoral votes, is required to win the election. And each state's legislature, this is important, determines the manner by which that state's electors are chosen. So following each national presidential election, on the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November, the states count their popular votes. The law in each state determines who the presidential electors have to vote for. Every state but two allot all of their electoral votes to the one candidate who got the most votes in their state, which is why it's called winner takes all. So in the 2016 race, Trump did especially well in southern states and across parts of the Midwest, and he won 304 electoral votes compared to Hillary Clinton's 227. And that's why he started bragging about winning by a landslide, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's true only if you count electoral votes. He could say that. Clinton won nearly three million more nationwide popular votes, meaning people like us and everybody listening. The way the Electoral College works, though, presidential elections are now decided by just a few swing states. That's why in presidential elections, candidates almost never bother to campaign in states they know they're going to lose. In 2016, 95% of candidate appearances and 99% of campaign spending went to just 14 states. What that does is it leaves major parts of the electorate unheard. So, for example, Trump had and has no chance of winning California. He'll never get their 55 electoral votes. So other than to come to California to fundraise, there's no reason for him to campaign in California. Yet a large section of California is Republican. It's not a majority, but it's a large part of the state. They never get the pleasure of telling Mr. Trump what's important to them, for example. And the states that Trump won represent only 35% of U.S. voters, 35%. Yet they control 57% of the electoral votes. So what this comes down to is the Electoral College was designed way back when to protect smaller rural states from the tyranny of the urban population centers. Made a lot of sense. Yet, if you look at it, none of the states Trump won are particularly rural. You see, that's the thing. Nor, with the exception of New Hampshire, are they all that small. So what do they have in common? Well, guess what? They tend to be less racially diverse than the country as a whole, i.e., they're more white. 
Right. So there's nothing to protect the larger, more diverse urban areas from these smaller homogenous areas that it actually is working the opposite way of what was intended. And it's why his racial politics work. And it, this whole thing, I mean, what you're saying shows just how outdated and ridiculous this is. This system is weighted the wrong way. And and I'm you're saying modify it. I'm saying do away with it. Let's just have a popular vote. I think if it had been reversed, if we ever had a Democrat lose the popular vote and win the electoral vote, the Republicans would band together and do away with the Electoral College in a week. Oh, exactly. Republicans should be very concerned about this, not just Democrats. Right now, it's a Democrat thing. But the GOP has lost the popular vote in six of the last seven presidential elections. And despite that, they won three of them by gaming the Electoral College vote, right? So that leaves the current crop of conservative pontificators having to defend what they know to be an archaic, undemocratic system and one that doesn't work as the authors intended it to do. But in the long run, how's that going to work for them? Well, here's a question. What do the voters think? It's very clear in the surveys most Americans prefer a straight popular vote. Specifically in a recent poll, 65% of Americans said presidential elections should be decided by national popular vote. 32% said the Electoral College should decide. But then there are people who say, why change what's already the law? Isn't this the way the system just works? And in fact, though, we've changed a lot of electoral law post the Constitutional Convention. In fact, we already talked about one of these, the 23rd Amendment. But here are some others. According to our Constitution, the vice president was the person with the second highest vote total in the Electoral College. And think about this for a minute, Alonzo. That worked great until Jefferson lost to Adams but became his vice president. They hated each other and they refused to work together. Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton were Donald Trump's vice president? The Constitution clearly did not anticipate the two-party system. So what happened? They wrote the 12th Amendment that allowed the president and the vice president to run on one ticket. Yeah. Our, our government's broken enough without having a president and a vice president from two different parties. Also, you'd kind of have to worry about people in the vice president's party wanting to get rid of the president. <laughs> a little bit. To, to, you know, move their man or woman up a notch. Yeah. But here's the funny thing about this. In 2012, Trump himself called the Electoral College, quote, a disaster for a democracy. Now, of course, after winning in 2016, he flip-flopped. Now he says that smaller states in the Midwest, quote, would end up losing all power if the Electoral College were eliminated. So uh, what's the solution? Well, the obvious solution is to amend the Constitution and do what you said earlier, abolish the Electoral College, have a direct popular vote for president. In 1969, there actually was a move toward that, a national effort to do that. But after success in the House, it failed in the Senate. In this environment, a constitutional amendment is a pipe dream. Fortunately, though, there are some other common sense solutions to get us closer. There's already one, for example, a coordinated campaign by something called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. That's trying to get the states to pledge their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote instead of what we do now, which is to the state's popular vote. But this only goes into effect when a majority of electoral votes, 270, 
join the pact, right? Currently, 15 states and Washington, D.C. are in. So that's 196 electoral votes. We still need 74 for that to happen. Four states, Colorado, Delaware, New Mexico, and Oregon, joined just this year. So that could be a good sign, possibly. But there's no way that this pact goes into effect before the 2020 election. Why would the GOP play along? I mean, they're winning with the current system. There are a lot of reasons that they would play along, that they should anyway. First and foremost, you never know when you're going to be out of power, right? Republicans would be wise to join with Democrats now in pushing to elect presidents by popular vote before they're in that position. Then there's the changing electoral map. It might not be enough for the 2020 presidential election for the Democrats to win, but just look at Texas and its 38 electoral votes. The polling I've seen most recently anyway says it is quickly becoming purple and they think it'll probably soon be blue. And then there's this true nightmare for the GOP. Three of the six biggest states are already solidly Democrat. California, New York, and Illinois. Florida and Pennsylvania can go either way. So Republicans have been able to win the presidency partly because they could count on Texas is what that boils down to. And Texas going blue would give the Democrats a huge leg up with 142 votes in the bag just from that. It could lock Republicans out of the White House for years. But I want to end with this, Alonzo. Both parties should keep in mind Thomas Jefferson's words he said, institutions must advance also to keep pace with the times. We might as well require a man to wear still the coat which fitted him when he was a boy, as civilized society to remain ever under the regimen of their barbarous ancestors. My bottom line, fear the Electoral College. You know, we get so many great questions from you guys, you listeners, that we are starting a listener mail segment. Every week, we're going to reach into our metaphorical mailbag and pull out a listener-submitted question. What do we have this week? This one comes from Betsy in Los Angeles. Fear metal straws. She sent us a link to a New York Times article titled, Fatal Accident with Metal Straw Highlights a Risk. Apparently, a British woman was impaled by a metal straw after falling in her home. Barry, do we need to fear this? What this article is doing is using people's fear of change. No more plastic straws pisses some people off. I don't like it a whole lot myself, frankly. We were never afraid of plastic straws, but the fact is about 1,400 people visit the emergency room every year due to injuries from plastic straws. So, be afraid of metal straws as much as you are toothpicks or a pencil. I don't want to know what those 1,400 people have done with plastic <laughs> straws that led to the emergency room. But you know who should be afraid of plastic straws? Dolphins, okay? Fish, because if a kid sticks a plastic straw in his ear, he can go to the hospital. There's no hospital in the ocean. There's nothing to help them. We all got to get with the times, even me, and stop using plastic straws and fear not the metal ones, whatever you do. Barry, drink without a straw. <laughs> Just drink from the glass. Enough straws in your whiskey after dinner. Good plan. Barry, before we wrap up for this week, we have an update on our story about Goop. 
This headline says a lot. All the wellness products Americans love to buy are sold on both InfoWars and Goop. I don't know why anyone's surprised. They're liars and other liars. So just which extreme liars do you want to believe? That's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, they're both made up, Goop or InfoWars. So, yeah, yeah, I, I get the common denominator. Right. So this online magazine named Quartz looked at the ingredients used in the products sold in the InfoWars store compared to the products on Goop. And they discovered that the stuff Goop is selling is also eerily similar to the stuff sold on InfoWars but branded and packaged differently, as you would expect, right? They all make similar claims about the health benefits of these ingredients. For example, iBright Herb, InfoWars sells it in a supplement called OccuPower, which makes your eyes, quote, healthy. Goop sells it as an ingredient in eye makeup. I wonder if Goop and InfoWars know about this. That's the fun part, that they would find out we're selling the same stuff. I love the idea of them merging. <laughs> Goopo Wars. Info Goop. Every week, Barry and his crack research team dig for a story that has gone viral. One so ridiculously outrageous that it sounds too ridiculous to be true. Or is it? And every week, you get to guess if this is real or if it's made up. So you're ready? I'm ready. All right. According to Vanity Fair, Jeffrey Epstein wanted to have his penis frozen and, quote, brought back to life in the future. I believe he wanted it to happen. The now deceased Jeffrey Epstein, accused sex trafficker and pedophile, wanted to have his brain and penis frozen and brought back to life at a future time and place. He also spent years telling scientists about his dream to, quote, seed the human race with his DNA. So you're saying true or made up? Well, first of all, I have to say, when you say you want to freeze your brain and your penis, every woman just looks at you and says, well, that's the same thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's true. I believe it. All right. America's paper of record, the New York Times, reported starting in the early 2000s that Mr. Epstein told multiple people of his ambitions to use his New Mexico ranch as a base for women to be inseminated with his sperm. It was not a secret. One NASA scientist mentioned that Epstein's goal was to impregnate 20 women at a time. Incredibly, the scary story told to multiple people didn't raise any red flags back then. You know why? Because he was a billionaire. If you have a crazy friend, you might raise some red flags. If you have a crazy friend who's a billionaire and you're partying on his ranch or on his island, you're okay with it. Well, he based his idea for the baby ranch on the repository for germinal choice. That's a now-closed sperm bank in California that was stocked with the sperm of scientists and academics, including one Nobel laureate. This actually exists. Yeah, this place did actually exist, Alonzo, for 19 years, from 1980 to 1999 in Escondido, California. It was supposed to be only Nobel laureates, but they only got one of them, a guy named William Shockley. You may remember this guy, 1956 Nobel Prize in physics, but then he had a lot of controversy later. But they did have a lot of other smart people, scientists and academics. They impregnated 223 women. They went out of business in 99 when both founders died. 
all of the excess sperm and records were destroyed, which personally I consider a relief. So they, they felt they were going to keep superior sperm and the place went out of business. That says a lot. According to the Times, Epstein used his dinner parties where guests included, quote, attractive women with impressive academic credentials to find smart women to knock up. Couldn't have been that smart. <laughs> yeah, that's what this sounds like, one of those plans. But but here's the thing. When they talk about this breeding, what about uh, a Wilt Chamberlain? Like, wouldn't you want Wilt Chamberlain's genes in the gene pool or, or a LeBron James mm -hmm. or a Michael Jordan or a... Um, you know, some super athlete, wouldn't you want them in the gene pool also? Yeah, but let's not start another one of these places, okay? But here's where the frozen penis business came in. Epstein was obsessed with cryonics. It's an unproven science, to say the least, where people's bodies are frozen. They're brought back to life in the future. He told one person that he wanted his head and penis to be frozen. But per the New York Times, there's no evidence that Epstein's plan to populate the earth with little Jeffrey Epstein's ever came to fruition. We can probably all agree, by the way, that that, at least, is good for humanity. I hate to say it, Barry, and they will no doubt edit it out, but if you ask for your head and penis to be frozen, you are setting yourself up for a horrible practical joke. So, Alonzo, you said it's true, and you're right, it's true. Somehow, I'm not surprised. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone & Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is Tim Moore. Legal Beagles, Loeb & Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.